Well, good morning, everyone. Morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. What a joy it is to be with you all today, for it's the Lord that has called us to this place, each of us, not a single one by accident. Instead, in his mercy and his love, he has given us this time to come together in worship. And I welcome you as we do so, whether you're a visitor or a member, longtime member, new member, doesn't matter. If, if you are a visitor, though, I'd love to meet you. I'll be outside under the portico after the service. Now, before we begin, let me just point you to your bulletin because tis the season to be busy, y'all. Lots and lots and lots of things are going on. So go ahead and start marking your calendars. Um, for today, we are having youth group tonight at 530, but we're not having prayer meeting and Wednesday Bible study this week or until the new year, actually. And speaking of this week, I would greatly appreciate your prayers as tomorrow I'm going to be traveling to Spain in order to perform a wedding. But then also one week from today, uh, the Witte family, we support them in Toledo, Spain. I'm going to be preaching for Mark Witte, um, and it's going to be a fascinating situation. I think I might have shared this last week. His church is made up of, of Spanish-speaking people, obviously, because he's planted the church. But his wife, Natalia, is Ukrainian, and they have many Ukrainian refugee families that are staying there with them, connected to the church. And thankfully, because I speak neither Spanish nor Ukrainian, they have the headsets like they use at the UN to where I'll be able to preach in English, and it will simultaneously translate into Ukrainian and Spanish at the same time. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, as is Mark having us there. If I can get there, I've got bags full of Christmas presents that were sent to me for his kids. So we'll, uh, we'll have to see if I can drag the steamer trunk across Spain. But nevertheless, please do be in prayer for me. Seth McCormick, who is a chaplain in Roanoke at, at the Roanoke Hospital, is actually going to be here. He is looking to be ordained very soon. And he and his family are members at our Wellspring Church right outside of Roanoke. Now, um, that's next week. But like I said before... Be aware of your bulletin because we have loads of things that are announced in there like our Christmas cantata service on December 17th, our Christmas congregational dinner on December 13th. Also, two weeks from today, our annual state of meeting, we're having that. That's our budget meeting. Budgets are available around the sanctuary and next week they will be in your bulletin. And also two weeks from today, from 2 until 5, or excuse me, from 3 until 5, we're doing a little drop-in at the manse. If, if you need directions, it's not far. But we would absolutely love to have you all over just a little Christmas get-together kind of thing. Um, other things going on, like poinsettia forms, right? If you'd like to purchase those, please do. The preschool is still doing its fundraiser, selling ornaments, and those are available. And I think someone will be in Providence Hall afterwards if you would like to get one of those. Um, other things are happening, too, but I'm going to let you find all of those things. That's a lot, certainly given the fact that it's the, uh, the last Sunday of November, the first Sunday of Advent is next week. We have lots of things going on. However, let me do the same cautioning that I do every single year. In the midst of all the trappings, in the midst of all the different calendar things that are going on, don't let the beauty and the hope of Christmas escape you. That we celebrate that time when our Lord came near, when he made his dwelling among us, taking on flesh. And certainly today, as we come to the table, we are reminded of his sacrifice for us, his people. Because it's a communion Sunday, we will not be having children's church, but we are having a children's sermon, so children come down at the appropriate time. Now, um, all of this being announced, I'm going to let you find the rest. 
Let's prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prayer. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 116, and that should sound familiar. If not, hopefully it will later, though we sing from the Bible songbook, and it's more of the King James translation. Psalm 116 in the translation that I use says this. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. The ropes of death were wrapped around me and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless and he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, rescued me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I said I am severely oppressed. In my alarm, I said everyone is a liar. But then how can I repay the Lord for all the good he's done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Whenever we take communion together at Old Providence, again, we sing Bible song number 242 in the back. But it is this question, how can I repay the Lord? Or as we sing, what fit return, Lord, can I make for all thy gifts on me bestowed? And the answer, of course, is there is no fit return. But instead... We take the cup of blessing and we remember the Lord seeking him, paying to him the vows we owe. My friends, as we come together today in this time of worship, let the table not escape you, but instead let your focus be on Christ, his love, and on his mercy. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer, after which we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together and then confess the Apostles' Creed. But let's go to him now. Our, our God and our Father, as we come together in this time, we come with grateful hearts. As the psalmist has written, what fit return can we make? And, and of course, the answer is, who can we, how can we ever repay you? We, we can't. So instead, you just call us to love you. As a part of that love, we have come now to worship. But Father, without your help and without your Holy Spirit, we will not worship you in spirit and in truth. Our focus will be elsewhere, perhaps on the things of the world. It doesn't really matter because the evil one will do everything he can to take us away from you. So please, guide us now by your Holy Spirit. Fill us that this time would be pleasing to you, that your name would be lifted on high, for you alone are worthy. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray, by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. And now, let's continue in our worship by taking our red hymn books. The words are on the screen as we sing hymn number 100, the first, fifth, and sixth verses. All creatures of our God and King. Please stand with me. be seated, but children, join me down front. Oh, all the way 
guys have a seat. see everybody today. It's like a segregation here of the men and the women. Did y'all do that on purpose? Sometimes that happens. That's okay. Well, it is so good to see everybody. I hope that everybody had a very happy Thanksgiving this past week. Now, today I want to test your skills of observation. I want you to put your detective cap on, right? Get your magnifying glass out and let's see if you can tell something about today. Does anything look different about today? Yes. Yes, okay. Like, did anybody notice anything the out of walls. the ordinary? The walls look different. That's true. The walls look different. This definitely looks different right here. But is there anything else that you notice that's different about today? That's different, yeah. Anything else different about today that you might not see every Sunday up front? Yes, Tucker's got, yeah, that's that's exactly right. The communion table, it is covered, isn't it? Because it is a communion Sunday. And like I said earlier today, I, I mentioned it in announcements, every Sunday is special because it's the Lord's Day. But when we come together today, it's extra special because the adults in the room and, and some of the teenagers are going to be taking communion. Now, communion is a very special time when we worship the Lord and we're lifted up into His presence. Now, I know it's going to look like we're still in the sanctuary, but... When we take communion, it's like we're lifted up into God's presence to receive all the blessings of belonging to Jesus. And it's in communion that we're reminded of God's love and his mercy and, and how Jesus died for the sins of everybody who trusts in him. And when we take communion, you're going to see what two things are part of communion. What do you see in communion? You eat something and you drink something. What do you eat? eat the bread. That's right. And what do you drink? You have the cup, right? You have juice in the cup. Now, those two things symbolize Jesus' body that was broken for us. That's what the bread symbolizes. And the juice represents his blood that was poured out to forgive our sins. But we don't just take communion because of the blessings we get. We, we take it for another reason. Now, you've noticed the table. I had to help you a little bit by kind of pointing it out. Do you notice anything different about the table other than the stuff on isn't there something normally written on the front of the table? Has anybody ever paid attention to that? You can't see it because the tablecloth. Does anybody know what it says? You know what it says, Alan? It says, this do in remembrance of me. And the reason it says that is because of what we find out in 1 Corinthians 11. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You might not have ever noticed it before, but if you lifted up the tablecloth, you'd see it right there on the front of the table. And then he goes on to say, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So guys, the reason we take communion is not only to receive blessings, we also take communion to remember what Jesus did for us. We also take communion to testify, to, to proclaim, to say out loud that we belong to Jesus when we take the bread, when we take the juice. So guys, later on, we don't have children's church, but when you see communion passing around and when you see adults take it, I want you to remember what it symbolizes. 
And why we do this? Because it points to just how much God loves us. Let me pray. Our Father, I thank you for these children. I pray that you would help them to remember you. What Jesus did to, to sacrifice himself for them, what he did to sacrifice himself for us, help them to remember you, to love you and trust you and trust in Jesus alone. As we come to the table today, prepare our hearts even now. And we pray it in Christ's name. And now as we continue in this time, let's take this opportunity to go to our Lord in silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. But let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, as we continue in this time of worship that you've called us to, as I've just said with the children, let it not escape us what this table symbolizes that is set before us. How it points not only to your love and your mercy, it also points to your provision, it also points to your holiness, that Jesus, the spotless Lamb, humbled himself and became obedient even to death on the cross in order to save us, your people. As we reflect on the holiness of Christ, on how he was and is the spotless lamb, and as we prepare for the table set before us, we must admit that we are not spotless. But instead of Seeking your face always. So many times we would seek after our own way. That manifests itself in many ways. Obviously, sometimes with the best of intentions, we ignore what you tell us to do. Father, in light of Jesus' perfect righteousness, we come with thankful hearts that we have been declared righteous through him. But also we recognize that we are in need of forgiveness. As your word says, we ought to examine ourselves before we take the bread and drink from the cup. So please, let us do that now, tomorrow, the next day, and the next. Not for the sake of saving ourselves, but for the sake of the fact that you've bought us at such a high price. And you call us to be your own. Thank you, Father, that this calling is not a chore that instead this life that you have given to us in Christ is truly abundant. And it's so clear as we look at the world around us and what the world considers life and livelihood. So many are lost and struggling. So many are looking for meaning in things that really have no eternal significance, that, that, that offer no reward. As we think about the world around us, we see this great yearning and darkness 
for something that matters. And so it's one cause to the next, one movement to the next, this never-ending motion of humanity that needs you but does not have you. And yet, Father, this is not your fault. For as your word tells us, the world has gone astray, it's rejected you. So let us focus on what you've called us to do. As we think about the world around us, let there be a prompting within us, a sense of urgency even, to testify to your greatness. For we know that the only answer to the despair and the gloom of the world is the light of Christ. And as he said to his disciples, so your word says to us, because of Christ, you have made us lights in the world too. Whatever may hinder that, we ask that you would take it away. If it's sinfulness, if it's emotional turmoil, if it's, if it's just the problems of life that we face, and there are many, we, we have many who are hurt, many who are struggling, trying to get well, we pray that you would heal them. We have others who are struggling in other ways, and as it's Christmas time, um, this time of the year can, can dredge up all sorts of feelings and emotions that might lay dormant other times. Whatever it is, Father, please give encouragement, give healing, give wholeness. So that being whole people, we would go into this world that is full of those who are just partial. Let us carry the gospel. Father, please work in our hearts to this end. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we think about the world around us and its great need, let us also consider the mighty power of God as we stand and sing together hymn number 84, I sing the mighty power of God. Please stand with me as we sing.
go to our Lord, our Father, as we've just lifted up. Your mighty power is beyond compare. And it's evidenced in so many ways, including the ways that you provide for us, your people. So now as we come to this portion where we return to you out of the bounty that you've bestowed upon us, I pray that you would bless the gift and the giver. I pray that we would keep your kingdom at the forefront of our minds. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you very much, choir. What, it's a serious thing to consider what the choir has just lifted up, isn't it? To think about that command to rejoice, and it's something we're going to come back to. But nevertheless, it's a weighty command. Um, today, as we come to the final chapter of the book of Philippians, I really hope to, to finish up Philippians before the Advent season began. It's just not going to happen. That's okay. The reason it's not going to happen is because we come to something really serious today, and I didn't want to just skip over it. We come to yet another set of commands, and i got to be honest, they're difficult commands, at first glance, even. And no, these commands are not about denying yourself something, per se. It's, it's not about something that's forbidden in God's Word. Quite the opposite. It's commands about things we're supposed to do. In fact, it's a set of commands that, that's really so difficult that on our own, we'll never do them. And yet, God's word, it, it gives us hope. I hope I've been cryptic enough thus far. Are you ready to find out what they are? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be picking up in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4. Now, if you recall last week, we finished chapter 3 by focusing on what our priorities really ought to be. Namely, that our highest priority should be pursuing Christ. And that's for lots of different reasons. Number one, the fact that he has bought and paid for us, right? He, he laid down his lives for us. He died for us. And so we should live for him. But in addition to that, as we've talked about the last several weeks, the laws of God, the things that God commands us to do, it's never arbitrary. It's never just random. God tells us what he tells us because he knows what's best for us, you see. And it's when we follow the law of God. And, and, and do we do it perfectly? No, absolutely not. But when we pursue Christ, when we pursue right living, when we pursue holiness, that's when the Lord works to make us whole. W-H-O-L-E. Okay, so our highest priority should be pursuing Christ. That begins with thanksgiving. And, and where it continues is that pursuit of holiness, living as Jesus lived. Now, Paul offered himself as an example of this in verse 18. Uh, he said, for I have often told you, and now I say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He, he offers himself as an example first, but then he gives this warning. And he gave the Philippians, and by extension, you and I are given the same warning to watch out. To stay away from such people. And you've got to understand that coming into chapter 4. Right? And, and the reason being is... If you don't understand where chapter 3 is, chapter 4 is just going to start out really odd. But uh, you'll see what I mean in just a second. Let's pray and then we're going to dig in and we'll get to those ever so important commands. Let's go to him now. Our God and our Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would work in our hearts. As we come to these commands that you give us, not just randomly, not, not to, to kill joy or a good time, but instead because you know what's good for us. We pray that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand, and not just in an academic sense. Help us to see how your word applies to us. And let us live in light of it. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, it's in light of this warning that has just been offered at the end of chapter 3 that we pick up in verse 1. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, So then... My dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. 
I urge, oh, I skipped too soon. Verse 2, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche. Now, there's a lot of different ways to, to pronounce that. Some say Syntyche, some say Syntyche, some say Syntyche. doesn't matter, but I urge Judea and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy and errant an infallible word. Amen and amen. All right, so did you see them? Right, those commands given to God's people that are so difficult that I said we'd never follow them on our own, that are in fact impossible to follow on our own. I hope so, because in order to really see the difficulty of these commands, two things are required of you, right? Well, more than two things, but especially two things right now. Keep this in mind as, as we go forward today. God's word requires that, number one, you be honest with yourself. Okay, if you're not honest with yourself about who you are, you're not going to see the seriousness and the difficulty of these commands. But also, in the same way, you've got to be honest about what life is really like. You know, that's how you bridge that from, from gaining biblical knowledge as just an academic thing to really applying God's word to your life. You've got to be honest with yourself about who you are about the temptation that you face. And you've got to be honest about what life is really like in order to understand these commands. Now, first, though, before we even get to them, let's deal with the beginning of our passage, and then we'll move on to the commands. Like I said before reading, if you just jump into chapter 4, and you don't know about this warning that's just been offered in chapter 3, it just sounds kind of weird, right? I mean, verse 1 is entirely based on everything that's just been said. Based on this warning again in verse 18 about those that live as enemies of the cross of Christ. But if you know that's what he's just finished talking about, then chapter 4's beginning isn't strange at all. In light of this warning, Paul offers, right at the end of chapter 3, in light of this in chapter 1, he says, So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Or in other words... Yet again, he's telling them to watch out. Watch out for false teachers. Watch out for those that are enemies of Christ. Because again, like we talked about last week, if our highest priority should be pursuing Christ, and it should be, then the enemies of the cross of Christ, once they get in, well, it's like I said last week, a church infiltrated by the world stops pursuing Christ. If you doubt that, look around, right? Also, let's make it even more personal. That's the church. A person infiltrated by the world will have worldly priorities. Won't pursue Christ. So again, chapter 4 begins with some further encouragement to be on the lookout. Then in verses 2 and 3, Paul gives some specific instructions to some specific people with names that are difficult to pronounce. Now remember y'all, this is a letter, okay? But at the same time, it is God breathing out his word. Even so, well, I'm not going to preach a sermon based off of, of verses 2 and 3. I do want to point out the relationship that Paul says he has with the Philippians there. 
and the fact that he considers them something special. He, he refers to them, again, in verse 3 at the end, and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. This is important because it just goes to show, you know, Paul is functioning as a missionary here. He's going on missionary journeys. It goes to show not everyone is called to be a missionary, okay? But everyone is called to support them. While they're not going with Paul on his missionary journeys, he refers to them as co-workers and calls on them for support, and, and that's that dynamic that we see there at the beginning. Again, it's a letter, so we have to deal with those things that are parts of letters. Now, that's how chapter 4 starts. But out of these encouragements, right, flowing out of these encouragements are the commands that I've been referencing. These commands that are so difficult, commands that at times are unthinkable. And they seem absolutely impossible. And really and truly, without the power of the Holy Spirit, the commands that are in the rest of what we read, they are impossible. What are they? Well, they're right in a row, right? The first is in verse 4 where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's the first one. The second one is verse 5. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And the third and fourth commands are found in verse 6 where it says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So you get four commands. Rejoice always, be gracious, don't worry, pray with thanksgiving. Now earlier, like I said, you might say, why is this so bad? I said before, they're impossible, but if you look at these and you say, well, I, I can be gracious, I can rejoice, I don't worry, I can, I can pray, I, everybody pray. But y'all, let's go back to what I said at the beginning. Number one, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself about who you are and how temptation works. And number two, be honest about what life is really like. And if you do that and you think about these four commands, if you're honest with yourself and you're honest about life, you start to realize there might be a problem here. Take the first one. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Again, he repeats himself. Now, on the surface level, you might say, okay, that's great. I can rejoice. We just had Thanksgiving this past week. Everybody rejoice and it's Christmas time and there's lots of things to rejoice about. The fact is this y'all, when life is full of ease, an easy life can make it easy to rejoice. When things in life go your way. Sometimes it's just when you accomplish the things that you're trying to get done, right? That in itself can, can lead you to rejoice. When you're loved and valued by others, when momentous moments in life happen, a new job, a new child, a new grandchild, a new car, the McRib is back. I mean, you know, there's lots of reasons you can say, oh, yeah, I can rejoice. Um, and that might not be a rejoicing point for you like it is for me. But nevertheless, right, I'm, I'm joking about that. But again, my point is an easy life can make it easy to rejoice. There's a reason I italicize there can. You know, there's a reason why Solomon, right, outside of Jesus, the wisest man that has ever lived, when Solomon wrote the Proverbs, he included this, one of his prayers. He said, give me neither, talking to the Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. That's Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. What Solomon's done here is he's revealed something. 
Y'all, what he's revealed is that rejoicing can be incredibly difficult. In times of, of ease, it can be very difficult. When you have an abundance, you can totally forget about God. That's one of the temptations that we have. There's a reason why Jesus spent so much time talking about riches and how dangerous riches can be because it creates this false sense of security in that you don't really need God for anything. So it can be hard to rejoice when life is going great. But equally, and sometimes even more so, it can certainly be difficult to rejoice in, in times of sorrow and in times of great difficulty when, when instead of being loved and appreciated, you're spurned. When you can forget about the things that you wanted to do and you wake up one day and you say, is this how it was supposed to be? You remember when you were a kid thinking about what you were going to do when you were an adult? My wife, I, I, I can't get past this and maybe it's my eternal childhood you know, cropping up from time to time. I, but I just remember all the different things thinking like, man, I can go to McDonald's, whatever I want when I'm a kid. And then, of course, you know, when you get older and the time changes, you're like, goodness, is it 1 o'clock in the morning? No, it's 6.45 at night. I'm not going to McDonald's. Yet. But, but it, it's that, that principle there of, of sometimes you wake up and you realize this is not how I thought it was going to be. A lot of times that revolves around relationships going awry. Not just, you know, family, not just romantic. Sometimes it's work relationships. The whole point is this. It can be very difficult to rejoice when times are not going well either. And you're supposed to rejoice always? That first command, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice now, do you see why I said these commands are so difficult? Why, why they're impossible on your own? Or take the second command. Verse 5, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Now, your translation might be a little bit different. There are a lot of them, right? That term graciousness there is in the CSB, and I like it. In other translations, you find everything from temperance, gentleness, demeanor, hospitality, forbearance. I don't remember what the King James says, but there's a lot of different words here. And I like the term graciousness here because graciousness encapsulates what God's people are supposed to be like. Because the fact is, is that God's people are called to be gracious, y'all. If we, understanding that we've been forgiven a debt that we could never repay by Christ, then we should be gracious. We should be forgiving. We should be merciful. We should be loving. But again, this command, let your graciousness be known to God. Everyone? Kind of like rejoicing. When times are full of ease, it can be easy to rejoice. And, but being gracious to everyone? Y'all, this, uh, this idea of, of letting people know the love of the Savior in you. And when people treat you the way you want to be treated, that's great. Graciousness can come much easier. But when people treat you horribly... When people don't love and value you, and not only that, they have ill will towards you. You know how hard it is to be even civil to someone whose guts you'd just rather hate, right? Much less be gracious to them. Again, it, it seems impossible. That's the second. What about the third? Don't worry about anything? My goodness, what, what do you
you mean don't worry? We can read this. And, and we need to be careful here because we can be tempted to read this and we can say, well, you know, Paul wrote this, but he had no idea, right? And obviously, he didn't know about this, you know, fill-in-the-blank situation, this, this relationship, this work situation, the state of the world around us, the fact that we have kids or grandkids going into this crazy, messed-up world. Paul didn't know what's in my checking account. And you'd be right. God does. And this is the word of God. This command, though, it goes against everything within us because, y'all, you realize we're wired to worry. Some people, not as much as others, I get that. But, but really, we are wired to worry out of a sense of self-reliance. Because from the very earliest of times, what do we want to say? I can do it. Let me do it. You know, nobody teaches kids to say that. That's one of those things like, no, or mine. They, let me do it. You know, it comes naturally to us. We're so prone to worrying that it's our natural go-to. And again, we're told not to worry about anything? Or take the fourth commandment there. Pray with thanksgiving. Now you might say, well, hold on a minute, I pray. Yeah, that's, that's good. Verse 6 tells you to pray. But to pray with thanksgiving. Oh my, y'all know how easy it is to ask God for things. To ask Him for things we don't have. But y'all, sometimes the most difficult thing for us to do is to be grateful for what we do have. Including the circumstances that the Lord has placed us in. Why? Life hurts. Y'all know that. John Adams, when he was appointed to be ambassador to France, um, yes, the president, John Adams, and I, I looked all over it, and you can't find this quote. It's been attributed to others, but when he was uh, basically shuffled away and said, hey, just go be an ambassador somewhere. We don't want you hanging around the capital anymore. He came back, and he was sitting in a tavern, and he said, a hurt man loves to speak of his wounds. We tend to focus on ourselves when life hurts. And when we focus on ourselves, y'all, it leads to anything but trusting in God. <clears throat> That's why I said these commands on our own, they're impossible. But praise be to God that we're not on our own, you see. God does something with us in our hurt and our despondency. You see, God intervenes. When life is at its most disappointing and unbelievable. It's when you act in faith. Now I know I've spent a lot of time talking about how impossible these things are. And again I will contend on your own they are. But when instead you act in faith. It's when you trust in the power of God by the Holy Spirit in your life. That when you take that step of faith and actually do these things. When you stop in your hurt and you say... I don't know what God's doing here. I don't know why his timing is what it is, but I'm going to rejoice. When you decide to make that conscious effort to be gracious, not because the other person has earned it. Y'all, that's not what grace is. If the other person has to earn you being gracious to them, it's just a payment. It's not graciousness on your part. The reason I know that is because we did nothing to earn God's grace towards us. But when you make that decision... 
I'm going to be gracious, not because of what they did, because of who they are, but because of who God is and who he said I am to be. When you stop worrying, and when instead you take that worry and you turn it over to God, when you focus on who God is and his promises, and when you decide to trust him, and then, in light of these things, when you pray, bringing petitions, bringing requests, yes, but when you pray with thanksgiving, y'all, it's, it's when you do these things that God proves his faithfulness. How so? When you feel like doing anything but rejoice what you do, when, when you're gracious, when you do these things, not only does God hear you, it's when you act in faith that verse 7 it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What God has done is he's made a promise here. And that promise is very simple. The promise is when you trust me, when you obey, that's when I intervene. When you decide not to worry but to trust, when you show graciousness, when you rejoice, when you have that sense of thanksgiving, the Lord enters that situation and he makes the impossible possible. And he does it through the peace that he gives. And I love this verse. It, it, this one is, surpasses all understanding. I think the King James is the peace that passes understanding. You know what that means? Peace that passes understanding. That means when you have peace and it makes absolutely no sense that you have it. And if you've lived any sort of life at all, and if you trust in the Lord, you know what that peace is like. Because when the rest of the world looks at a situation and they say, well, what peace can be had here? How can you be so joyous? How can you do this? How can you do that? How can you be anything but, but, but crushed over this? You know, the peace that God promises is comprehensive. But he doesn't say it has to make sense to us. It's just that he loves us that much. He makes the impossible possible. He's in the business of doing this. As Ephesians 6 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is what we're called to believe. That no situation is beyond redemption. That when we rejoice, when we trust, that's when the Lord comes in and turns things around. And our task is simply to trust. And if you doubt these things, if you're saying, yeah, but you don't know about this situation I'm facing, you're right, I don't. Some of you I do, but some of you I don't. But let me point you to this reality. There is no situation so dire that's the situation humanity faces apart from Christ. That we are irrevocably, irrevocably on our own, stained with sin. And on our own, we could never, ever pay for it. And yet, Jesus Christ did the possible out of the impossible. Jesus Christ intervened and completely turned humanity around. And if you doubt that, Look no further than the table in front of you. Because it showed what Jesus was willing to do to save us, his people. Remember, God's in the business of changing things. God's in the business of redeeming the unredeemable. 
It's in Christ alone through him that you can rejoice, be gracious, not worry, and instead be filled with thanksgiving. And if you're struggling with that, again, I point you to the table. Understand what Christ did to save you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and I pray that you would work in our hearts that we would remember, that we would cherish, that we would not turn our backs on your grace, and that seeking that peace that passes understanding, we would be faithful. Thank you for your love and for your mercy. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we prepare for the table, we will follow our custom, which is to take Bible song number 242. We'll sing the first two verses, and then we'll complete after we take communion together. But please stand for the first two stanzas of 242. I love the Lord. be seated. Well now, my friends, as we come to the table, let me invite you to take communion with us, however be warned. In the sermon that I have just offered, we've talked all about belonging to Jesus Christ, about being faithful, and then about receiving that peace that passes understanding that makes the impossible possible. But, as I have spoken, this is for those who belong to Jesus Christ, for those who are trusting in Him alone for salvation, as is the table before you. If you do not know Jesus Christ, let the bread and the cup pass. But also, 
there is a further warning. Communion is for those that belong to the body of Christ, for those that are Christians, but it's also for those who are living in faith. Another way to put that is those who are pursuing right relationship with the Lord. As I say, every time I'm given the privilege and the honor to serve, does this mean living perfect lives? No, it doesn't. Because if perfection were required to come to this table, we got several issues, one of which is that none of you could take it, and I certainly couldn't serve it. But even more than that, if it were possible for you and I to be perfect, this table wouldn't be here. God would never sacrifice his son if it were not absolutely necessary to purchase his people's redemption. This is why when we come to the table, we should examine ourselves. I'll read the words of warning in a moment here. But we should examine ourselves. Number one, are you a follower of Christ? Are you trusting in him alone for your salvation? Number two, if you are, are you running from him? Is there sin in your life that you need to deal with? Something that you need to take before the Lord? If so, confess it now. Trust in him and take and eat Take and drink all of it, but if not, and it doesn't matter what it is, this isn't about the heavy hitter stuff, it's not about, well, you can do this, but not that, and so, no. If there's something in your life that you won't turn loose, it can be anything from bitterness, it can be a, a feud, it, it can be lack of forgiveness, it can be so many different things. If there's something that you know you are running from Jesus Christ with, don't take the bread and don't drink from the cup. Because if you've got something that you're running from God with it, that means you're rebelling against God. And listen to what his word says. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, Therefore, we are, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have died. It's that line without acknowledging the Lord. If you're running away from him, you're not acknowledging him. But what this table calls you to do is to remember, yes, and in remembering, stop running. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Then take and eat and take and drink. So I have warned you of the dangers of this table. Let me now share the beauties of it. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to thank the Lord for his body broken, his blood poured out. It's in communion that we are lifted spiritually into the presence of Christ to receive the benefits of belonging to him. It's in communion, as, as my, my great Hebrew professor taught. He said, young men, he said, at communion, the Lord grabs you by the lapel and gives you a good shake and says, look at it. Look at what I had to do to save you. And I would do it again. This table points you to the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come to the table now, we praise you for the body of Christ that was broken. For the blood of Christ that was poured out for the remission of sins. We could never save ourselves. But in taking on flesh and making his dwelling among us, he came to die. So that we might have life. Let us be mindful of these things as we come to the table now. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.
In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes that, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat all of it. The apostle goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 11 in the same way. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns.
This is the blood of Christ which is poured out for you. Take and drink all of it. Well, my friends, the bread and the cup have been passed, and by God's goodness, he has given us this time together. Let's now close this time by singing the last stanza and standing as we sing, I Love the Lord. Please stand with me. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.